What are your thoughts on that, on the Adele residency? Do you think it had to do with COVID? Do you think it had to do with some of the technical things that she wanted for the show? Like, and what goes into putting together a residency of that magnitude that maybe people don't understand? Well, I think all three of those things are relevant points, valid points. Putting on a show, even my little show, it takes a lot of, and I've been also I've been lucky because I've been doing mine for, you know, 36 years. So I've been kind of, we've kind of got it down and we know what we're doing. We have, when do we have production? We have lights and smoke and fog and thing. And, but it is a lot of work to put on a production, especially one of that magnitude and her name and the, and the room and the thing. And there's a lot of pressure, I'm sure, putting it on a nice show. I don't know. They haven't given any, anybody any answers. They're kind of vague about, they, they kind of said there was something with COVID. And then she came mm-hmm. out with a statement and said she wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready yet. So I, that's the, the joke in my show. I make I make fun of that. When I, I, we show the clip and she says, I'm sorry, she wasn't, wasn't ready. And I said, ready? Who the hell's ready? I haven't been ready in 36 years. We do this every night not ready. There's no such thing as being exactly. ready. Exactly. Like, I wasn't ready today to talk to you. You know, like, right. we're ready. I mean, life's, life's about. Don't book a show, bitch. Get up. Hey guys, it's Allison. So this episode is super fun because I sit down with comedian Carrot Top and we go through this whole journey of his comedy career. What makes him different from the typical comedian and why he's been able to last and be successful for three decades. And he is actually, I think, one of the longest running Las Vegas residency performers in history because he has a very successful Las Vegas residency at the Luxor Hotel and Casino that is now in its 16th year. And I think it's actually running for another few years. He's going at least until 2025. And his shows are very unique because he's not the typical observational or storytelling comic, but it's so cool because he comes up with these really inventive, insanely funny props, and he attaches them to things that are going on in his mind or things that are going on in the world or just funny things that we all observe on a daily basis. So I guess you could say it is observational humor in its own way, but the guy is funny. But beyond that, he has a huge heart. And that was something that, not that it surprised me, but you don't know somebody until you really sit down and speak with them. You just know them through the media and you know them through their career. But he really does have a huge heart. He's a really smart guy. He's really super insightful. And we just discuss so many different topics from things that are going on in the news, things that are going on with celebrities, things that are going on with his career and his life and how his career started, his family, just a lot of his hopes and dreams and ideas about his future. It's a really cool interview. So I'm going to get the hell out of the way, okay? And you guys can sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with me and comedian Carrot Top. First of all, so you were born Scott Thompson. How did you get the name Carrot Top? Who gave you the name? Uh, Unfortunately, I had something to do with that. I should not have. It's a blessing and a curse why I did it. I don't know. Well, I thought the name Scott Thompson was kind of boring. I mean, not kind of, it is. And uh, being a stage performer, I always thought it'd have something fun. You know, like, you know, place like yeah. Scott Thompson. It's like, Ugh. so I think, you know, Queen Latifah was taken. So I thought, gosh, I need something, <laughs> I need something better. So I thought, uh, you know, people always, 
you know, it'd say, hey, Carrot Top. And I just kind of thought that might be a good moniker for a stage and uh, for, my, for my look. And yeah. um, I kind of just went with it. And then, yeah, went to the stage one night and they said, bring me up as Carrot Top. And they were like, Carrot Top? And I go, yeah, are you sure? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and then uh, that was it. It was like, I was Carrot Top forever. And when was that? 84. 84. And by the way, you went to Florida Atlantic University in Boca. I'm in the, that area right now. So are you funny. really? Yeah. Where, are you, where about are you? I'm in Delray. Oh, Del, I know exactly. Yeah, Delray Beach. Beautiful. Beautiful yeah. down there. That whole town is beautiful down there. It's really grown. Yeah, it, it really is. A lot, a lot more culture than there used to be, yeah. for yeah. sure. So tell me, what are the three pivotal events in your life? that shape the human being you are today three pivotal things that have shaped me mm -hmm. well i mean i think one be having become a comic i think one would be um you know a lot of luck of in a sense and a lot of uh like i was a kid when i wanted to do comedy and i never i never knew there was such a way to get how do you become a comedian like there's no comedy schools there's no you know like clown school maybe or something but there was no stand-up comedy school so i really honestly would stand in the mirror and just pretend and tell jokes and then i had this, this idea because i kept listening to this comedy club that was down in west palm beach mm -hmm. uh every day they had a, a radio thing you know, the comedy corner on 2000 you know south dixie highway west palm beach come on and see you know come to our open mic nights and so i went down there one night and watched and uh, got the urge the next following week to maybe get involved and do it. So I went and got down and got myself uh, what I thought was an act. And I showed up. The woman was like, you were so funny. But the stuff you're doing is like, it was all about the college. Everyone that comes to this club is not going to be in college. They're going to be, you know, have jobs. And there might be 40-year-olds. and There might be 60-year-olds. There might be 17-year-olds. It's going to be a whole collection of, of different age groups and, and occupations. And so your stuff has to be a little bit more general. So I went to, back to the drawing board and I started coming up with all these, these that's where the props kind of came into play. I started thinking of generalized props and that, that kind of got me into doing what I do. That's a pivotal thing as far as trying to find that personality, who I was going to be on stage. Okay. Anything else? Any other aspects of things that happened in your life? I came from an interesting life. My dad worked at the Space Center. I wasn't a family of entertainment-driven people. In fact, the, I'm definitely the oddball black sheep of the family. My, you know, my brother went to the Air Force Academy, became an F-16 fighter jet pilot. And my brother or dad worked at NASA and built you know, spaceships and trained mm -hmm. astronauts. And I'm gluing you know, kickstands onto cowboy boots. It just didn't make any sense. But um, what, what was that conversation like when you told your dad, like, listen, I'm not following your footsteps. I'm going to go into comedy. Yeah, it was a very awkward com conversation. I'm sure everyone's had at one point with their parents because it was so different. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to go into some part of engineering. You know, it was uh, I'm going to be a stand up comedian. He had no idea what the heck they meant. Right. He's like uh, I had gone off to college and I I bought this little truck in a truck. And my dad says, how'd you pay for that truck? And I said, well, I've been in school. I've been you know, doing these odd jobs. He said, well, that's good. I'd like two, two jobs. I was delivering bread. I was a courier driving across the country, you know, dropping off credit reports at banks. And uh, that's when I listened to the radio every day. And I had that, I get that, listen to that comedy thing every day. I would listen to it. And then I had just enough money 
they had these open mic nights that I would get involved in and you'd win like the top prize was like 20 bucks or believe it or not, like a kazoo or something like that. I must have won, I must have won like 30 of these. And so I'd go places and go, can I sell this kazoo? I need gas money. So I went home one time and my dad said, how, you know, how are things going? I said, you know, I'm paying for my truck. I don't have a lot of extra gas, but I get, I've got a little bit of extra gas. I've been doing these stand comedy things. I get paid 20 bucks every time I win. So it's like 20 bucks a week that I usually can count on because I usually win this event. And he was like, wait, wait, stop comedy, stand up comedy. What do you do? What are you doing? Did he work? Are you set up a comedy show? I said, no, I'm in the show. I'm actually the comic. And uh, he says, you're not funny. I said, I know it's the weirdest thing, but um, I, uh, I did it for, for a whole half semester. And then, you know, you'd win 20 bucks and then, then they kind of give you steak dinner. I said, I don't want a steak dinner. I want the $20. So it would just string along all these events and they'd be kind of, finally you'd get like an actual show where you do your own show for 20 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever it is. And then it evolved into, yeah, it kind of just slowly evolved into everything, you know? Was it like, what are we doing? We're paying for you to go to school. Like, what were you majoring in? Marketing. And, you know, the funny part is they weren't paying. I was paying every dime. They they, they didn't oh, really real? have a say. You know, they really didn't have a say in it because I was, okay. I had all my jobs and I was just making my own path. And it's not that they weren't for it. It wasn't that they were against it or a negative to it. They just didn't understand it. They're okay. like, like, explain to me more. And so one semester, my dad said, I'm coming down to see you. And I said, great. You know what? I think I have a show booked. You can come see what I do. So he came and he was just blown away. He was like, I have no idea. What the heck? When did you do this? When did you come up with this? And so that was kind of a cool moment when he actually. That is cool. Yeah, and I came and saw what I did. And he was like, I had no idea. Like, what, what part of you did I miss? <laughs> Are you an introvert? in real life or is it like what you see on stage is what you get no i'm very shy i'm very i mean believe it or not i'm very shy people every day i always see you're always so quite spoken and shy and then you go on stage and you're kind of crazy yeah i mean i'm very uh, introverted in that way i'm very private but i'm not not that kind of a weird introvert I mean, i'm not like you know oh god he's in a corner by himself like but i usually go out to lunch by myself and I converse with people there and I know, you know, everyone at the bar. So I walk in, it's not like I'm this lonely guy sitting there. Like, hey, Scott, how you doing? And sometimes people join me, so, you know, they don't. But I, I'm definitely a loner. <laughs> and when I come home after the show, I'm a loner. I just watch TV by myself and I kind of write jokes and think of jokes and come up with ideas. And, and then I go to the show and I do the show and then I come back home. It's Groundhog Day. What is it about Vegas? Because you've been at the Luxor now for, what, 15 years? Uh, 16, yeah. 16. And you're going another few years. Yeah. Right. The 2025. Like, what is it about Vegas that just that's kind of become your comedy home? Like, what do you love about it? Um, yeah, it came around by accident, believe it or not. I mean, I used to do a couple weeks at a time at the MGM Grand 17 years ago. It was called a, like a, almost like a mini residence. I would, I'd go two weeks and then I'd go on the road and do shows and then come back and do a couple weeks and then go back on the road. And, uh, the Luxor Hotel had a room opening. I guess it was a showroom up that was opening and they had brought to my attention that David Copfield kind of wanted to take over the room, make me disappear. And, um, <laughs> and so I was thinking, well, I guess I'll go to, uh, you know, back on the road. And then my manager mm -hmm. said, well, there's a, a room open at the Luxor in the right, right across the street. And I said, okay, we went and walked over one night and walked through it, looked at it. I liked it. And they said, so what do you think? And I said, yeah, so two weeks, you know, the same gig. And they said, no, you, this will be full-time. 
Like you'll be here every night. And I was like, ooh, ooh, I don't know about that. I wasn't ready to be a resident headliner. So I was reluctant. I said, let's do a year and just see how it goes. And it was horrible for that first year. I was just didn't, I had lived, I was living in the hotel and I was not, I don't know, just not a good time. Things weren't working. Shows were tough and I was losing my mind. I was like, I got to get out of this gig, you know? And then one day, what's well, like really weird. One day I did, it just, I started having fun, started to click. And I th- thought, you know what? This is kind of cool. Cause I'm not traveling. I'm not uh, wear and tear on me. I'm not having to move all this stuff. I have a lot of stuff at the show. Mm-hmm. And they said, you want to do another two years? And I said, sure. So we signed up for like two more years. So there was a three-year deal at that point. Then we really got into a groove. It was like, it wouldn't make any sense for me not to be in Vegas. And then it was time to sign up again and say, you know, let's do a five-year deal. And we just kept doing 10 deal a year and every five years, you know, each time just doing do, do five years. So it's now been, uh, yeah, 16 years and counting. So what's great about Vegas is uh, kind of what I said there. One, you don't have to travel so much. You're in one place and people come to you as opposed to you go to them. I've gotten used to the room. I've gotten used to being able to kind of play more. And, and, and like last night, we did this whole brand new bit about Adele. I could go up at stage and knock it out and you not know, have to be you know, on the road traveling with it. And I get to come home at night and hang out with my dog. And, you know, I'm in bed by 11 o'clock watching TV. So. What are your thoughts on that, on the Adele residency? Do you think it had to do with COVID? Do you think it had to do with some of the technical things that she wanted for the show? Like, and what goes into putting together a residency of that magnitude that maybe people don't understand? Well, I think all three of those things are relevant points, valid points. Putting on a show, even my little show, it takes a lot of, and, I mean, and also I've been lucky because I've been doing mine for, you know, 36 years. So I've been kind of, we've kind of got it down and we know what we're doing. We have, when do we have production? We have lights and smoke and fog and thing. And, but it is a lot of work to put on a production, especially one of that magnitude. And her name and the, and the room and the thing, there's a lot of pressure, I'm sure, putting it on a nice show. I don't know. They haven't given anybody any answers. They're kind of vague about they, they kind of said there was something with COVID. And then she came mm-hmm. out with a statement and said she wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to get it. So I, that's the, the joke in my show. I make I make fun of that. When I, I, we show the clip and she says, I'm sorry, she wasn't, wasn't ready. And I said, ready? Who the hell's ready? I haven't been ready in <laughs> 36 years. We do this every night, not ready. There's no such thing as exactly like I wasn't ready today to talk to you, you know, like right. we're ready. I mean, life, life's about it. Don't book a show, bitch. Get up. <laughs> and so that's what I do on the show, and it kills. And then yeah. I do this, then I do three songs, Adele songs that are Adele songs. They're uh, Lionel Richie, hello, and then the, it's three songs. It's kind of funny, but um, that's my take on it. And, yeah. But if there was COVID related, you know, you probably should stick to that. I think, to, you know, we had half of our crew has COVID. We couldn't rehearse. So we mm-hmm. weren't ready in that regard. That would have been better than saying, I wasn't ready. Because uh, I'm surprised your yeah. people were like, don't say they're not ready. Don't yeah. say they're not so. Yeah, seriously. But you you make a good point, though. Like, in life, you're never going to be 100% ready for anything. Yeah. Right? Like, you're not no. going to be ready to have... Look at, my, look at my hair. My hair's not ready. Yeah. <laughs> you're not ready. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's sort of what life is about, right? You just yeah. have to roll with yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, you know, come on. Yeah, I would agree. 
are you one of those people who is going to eventually retire and like have a retirement or are you going to die on stage? I might die during this interview. Uh, <laughs> Please I, don't. Yeah, be good for you. I haven't figured it out. You know, I'm not, I never think about that, honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, the older I get, the better I feel like I feel. And, and the older I get, especially the more I feel that I'm, I know what I'm doing now, like, like with the show. I've never mm-hmm. been in a more comfort zone on stage than I've ever been in my career. I used to get very nervous and very just overly nervous about the whole show and just worried about if there was, if one joke didn't get a laugh or one thing didn't go right, I would lose my mind. I didn't, I thought it'd be a horrible show. And now it's just loose. It's free. It's, uh, it's taken years to get to that, but that's, hmm. that's where I'm at now. And, and I don't ever foresee not doing this. I can't imagine what I would do. So I don't understand what you retire from what. And I think most exactly. people, when they do retire, it's kind of, they're over. There's, I've never been with anyone that's have retired that have gone on and do something just amazing. They just kind of get old and they, they kind of retire and they just kind of get boring and they just disappear. That's kind of what I've been thinking about. I'm like the concept of retirement started with the industrial revolution mm. where you'd put in like your 40 years to get right. job security and then you were able to actually go live your life. But if you're doing your life's work, then it's just, it's fluid, right? True. I kind of felt that way during the COVID when it first, when it first happened, that, that, that one year off that most mm-hmm. people did. I was starting to mid-year, kind of start losing my mind. Like, it was fun every day. I lived in, in Florida. I live in Florida, but I'm not in Vegas. You know, I'm on my boat and I'm, we're barbecuing and it's fun. And then a month later, I'm like, oh, what's tomorrow? Oh, more boating and more barbecue. <laughs> like, I needed to go get my, you know, be funny. You know, I could still crack up my friends on the boat, but it wasn't, it was, I was missing an element of, you know, being on stage and going to the show. And I felt, probably felt that it was like musicians, you know, with playing music in front of an audience and, and having that thing that you don't get to do. And so, yeah. you know, people say you lose your sense of taste and smell. And I said, I'm losing my sense of reason when. when <laughs> I don't know what to do. I, and I wasn't motivated to write jokes because I didn't know I have anywhere to pl- try them. Um, yeah. and I, just, I think I even wrote one joke the whole year. I didn't sit down and have, if I thought, oh, that'd be funny for the show if I ever go back. So I never really was creative. I, you know, kind of, I just lost my creativity and I just kind of put on my bathing suit and went on the boat. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, I, I can see that. You kind of strike me as like a Peter Pan kind of a guy. I might be wrong, but you strike me as somebody who's sort of like kind of lives life as if you're like forever 30 or something like that. I mean, do you feel like that or do you kind of, you do kind of feel like that? I very much need to grow up. My friends would tell me that, but uh, I'm lucky in that regard though, because I am a child. I I consider myself a young child. I mean, uh, what I do for a living is one thing, you know, it's, but, but I like, being youthful, I like hanging out with young people. I like, but I have a lot of structure in my life. I mean, I'm, I'm very structured. I'm, you know, a lot of entertainers and see comics and all that people think they're reckless and they're this and they're that or like rock stars. I'm very regimented. I, I, I never go out. I think I've been to a club or a party in 20 years, but I go and I work and then I come home and the next tomorrow, after this, I'll go take my dog to lunch and then I'll go to the gym and then I'll go to the show it'll be the same process do you ever want to get married or have kids I don't think so I'm thinking pretty uh no okay so you're good just staying in this flow All right. yeah yeah 
And it's hard. It's hard enough just just taking care of me. I can't imagine taking care of a wife and kids. I'm yeah. enough. You know, it's a, I'm enough. <laughs> You're more than enough. I'm I'm more than enough. <laughs> it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to take care of. Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ballgame. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning, and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1 is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ballgame. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning, and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1 is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I want to talk to you about Bob Saget. I know that you've commented on it before, but he said such beautiful things about you and about your show. And I want to know, I don't know how well you knew him. I mean, did you just know him in passing? Were you friends? I knew him in a very, very small capacity, which was, was wild that he was so friendly to me. 
I knew he was a nice man. I know that he knows a lot of my friends more than I actually personally know Bob. But every time I, uh, my friends would bring my name up to them, they would always say, Bob loves you. I mean, just so you know, it's kind of a thing with comics. You want there's a lot of comics that like you or some comics don't like other comics or whether it's a jealous thing or whether they just don't, they're funny, whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. Bob was always one of those guys that, that really loved and respected me. And uh, I knew this too, again, through second, third parties. I don't think I one time said, we actually spoke at, at an event one time and he said, oh man, you were funny. And I said, oh, you're, you're funny. And he said, no, really, that's you, you're great. And, but we didn't know each other that well. And then when, I, when it, he passed and I, I got all these people sending me clips of him, you know, with his nice words about me, his adulation stuff towards me, it was very sweet. And I loved about when everything I read about Bob, his passing, I, there was everything, I've read it was how what a good guy he was Mm -hmm. and I just think that's so beautiful that's probably why he was nice to me I think you know I hope when I die because what people say about me they say you know my Scott you know God he was such a nice guy and that's all that the reason you get into this business is like it's weird but you when I think back to the very first time I wanted to be a comedian I wanted people to like me. I wanted, you know, I wanted people to, to laugh and say, wow, you're, you're fun to hang out. You're funny. And the comics would be like camaraderie. You know, it's like, we're all comics. We're in the same group. We're all trying to make people laugh and heal. And so mm-hmm. that's why I got into it. So I've always been shocked. And it's odd that when you, people that are in the show business, whatever it is, I'm just in a little teeny bit of it. Right. But like show business in general, they should be overly happy and nice to people. They've been successful in a job that's so hard to get successful in. Absolutely. And have people love them. I mean, geez, we walk around town and people are like, yeah, job, they love me. How could you possibly like not be friendly to them? Right. And be loving. So that's one thing I appreciate about when he, he got a lot of love from a lot of people. And I think that's because he, would, he was a nice guy. Do you think there's a spiritual aspect you mentioned about healing. Do you think there's a spiritual aspect to what you do in that regard, in, in terms of healing people or affecting absolutely. them? In that way? Absolutely. First of all, I'm very spiritual. And I think that there's no way there can't be a correlation between smiling, laughing, and healing. So that's why they send clowns into children's hospitals and stuff. There's dogs, and they, they bring in things to make the kids that are sick smile. And that's why they do that because that is the big healing moment. These kids are laughing and they're, they're not thinking about their cancer. Mm-hmm. So I have had thousands and um, thousands of times and letters in my career that would shock you. Handwritten letters from families, from people from all ages that have written me letters that say, you have no idea how much you helped me. My father lived through his last days. We watched your movie. He was so depressed. You know, his last trip, he wanted to go see you in Vegas. And he was sick and they got him on a plane and they came and you did the thing and they, the thing you did, thing you remember that? And I go, yeah, he was at that show. And yeah, and it's almost a little bit of a weight on your back. And you, you, know, you got this kind of, you know, on you. Like you got to keep that in mind. You go, like almost time, every time you go on stage, you, you think inside, there's someone out there that needs you, literally. Very interesting. It's a lot of responsibility. There's every night, no matter what, whether they're dying or not, there's one person (laughs) somewhere, literally though, in that audience that honestly needs me so bad tonight 
that needs that release and needs to laugh and needs to forget about their pain. And that's why they're usually there. They want to release that, that bad energy or that bad vibe or that bad thing that's happening. Their mm-hmm. you know, dog might've died. Their aunt may be sick. I mean, there's so many things where comedy can make you forget about that. Good comedy, because then it can be my comedy and makes them feel worse. <laughs> no. Was there ever a time when people's criticism of your type of comedy got to you? And are you a self-critical person or do you let yourself off the hook pretty easily? Mostly my whole career, it hurt my feelings. It wasn't until recently. So like anybody else, I think it's human nature. You want everyone to love you. And you know, it's kind of a cliche, you know, you can't please everybody and not everyone's going to love you, dude. You know, not, you're not, not everyone. There are going to be some people out there that are going to say, carrots up. No, not good. Not a fan. I, you know, when hears it in their own friends, so you talk about someone, hey, not a, not a big fan. Mm-hmm. Like, the other day I said, the Rolling Stones, it was the Rolling Stone show. It was unreal. And my friend said, did, did, uh, really? I wouldn't, you couldn't pay me to go to that. And I'm like, what? It's, but it's just, it's just, yeah. you know, that's what it is, what it is. People have always, always from day one, when I got into this business, they always made fun of me. For, I, have, I don't know. I think it was you know, just the red hair, the freckles, the name, the props, everything. It was just, right. it might have just been a whole smorgasbord of, didn't like me. A lot of it was comics that were just jealous because I had gotten some success. I was on The Tonight Show, I was on Regis, I, was, I did a movie. So they were kind of like, what the, you know, what the, I don't get it. Right. It wasn't like uh, like Jerry Seinfeld's cerebral humor or right. you weren't sure. telling stories. Yeah. Right, right. It was kind of like lowbrow comedy and, you know, which is funny because when I make these props, they're actually kind of clever. And I've had challenges with comics before. You get a week to come up with a prop, a week to come up with some clever prop. Um, mm-hmm. It can't be a pun. It's got to be some kind of clever invention. They've never done. It. So um, it would hurt me and hurt me and hurt me. And then it would, one day a bell just went off. And it could have been something someone said or something I, I just thought, but I finally was like, you know, I don't, when I was a kid, consider the source. So when I go to school and I get picked on, I come home, I'm upset. My mom's like, what's wrong? And I said, they picked on me on school. And she said, who picked on you in school? And I said, you know, Timmy. Well, isn't Timmy the one that's always picking on you? And he's, he's the big heavy set kid, right? I said, yeah, well, consider the source. You know, he's, he's picking on you because he's not happy with himself and he's picking on you because you're you're skinny and he's not and you have right you know, i use that philosophy in my in the business world you know I'd, I'd go to the clubs and all the comics comics that thought i was nice and loved my act and respected it was great you know george carlin came over and said he liked my act chris rock came over and i started thinking well jay leno bill maher all the comics that have made it and are successful mm-hmm. are fans of mine I would see him out, you know, see Gary Shandling and he'd say, you're funny, you have some funny stuff. And, and then I'd go to the club and there'd be some guy, you know, from Oklahoma d- doing two minutes on the set that would mm-hmm. sit there and talk about my back. And I'm like, you know what, Bill Maher just said I was great. I started yeah, to kind yeah. of filter out the people that really didn't make a difference in my life, mm-hmm. um, especially in my comedy life that, you know what, they weren't going to be fans of mine. They weren't going to be fans of mine. I didn't care. I just, you know, the most important thing is your fans. That's the most, really what makes it, you can't, that's the most important that people can't forget about their fans. I mean, they think, you know, you, once you first get in, of course you want people to laugh, but you want the camaraderie and you want the other comics to get, yeah. But then at the end of the day, you want to say, hey, I got, I got fans out there. That's who comes to the show. So the most important part about 
this whole thing is fans. So you kind of start getting rid of people that are negative because you don't yeah. need them. You look out in the audience and these all these people love me. So exactly. I'm performing to the people that don't love me. Do you ever pray? And if so, who or what do you pray to? I am a big prayer. I do. A lot of times I pray for general uh, things like my family, my health and my career. I, in Florida, I go on this run. And when I run, there's a big, huge church I run to. It's the halfway point, five miles. So I get to the five mile, or two and a half, sorry, two and a half mile mark. It's a beautiful big church. And I always just do a little prayer and I pray for my goddaughter, my family, my my health, my, my mom's health, and my dog's health, and pretty much just kind of my, my friends and my family. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, sometimes even greater things like with COVID, I said, and can you make us all go back to normal life? Yeah. Um, and then there's sometimes specifically my friend Louis Anderson just passed away and Louis was um just the opposite of Bob and I's relationship. Louis Anderson was probably like my brother. Really? We had a very, very close relationship and uh, it came very sudden just about four days ago. And uh, that was a rough one. No one told us. And then I went to the hospital and see, you know, I was holding his hand and last day he was there and it was rough. That was a rough one. Did you ever talk to him about his health? Or about taking well, back, better care of his health? Well, back in the day, it was kind of in for him. It was always a joke. He was like, yeah, I'm, I'm heavy, you know. And, you know, you look at me, I weigh 140 pounds. And he's like, yeah. we can't be skinny like you. But he tried all the time to lose weight. I mean, I will say one thing. Every time we went out, he would always say, I'm a chicken. He would say he was going to go run or walk. He had bad knees. And he, he was always in bad health. But mm-hmm. he was always aware of it. And he always tried to do... I mean, literally, I'd see him, he goes, damn, I was 10 pounds. Like, he wanted people to know. But then then cancer, couldn't figure out a way to beat the cancer. Yeah. Sorry for your loss. Oh, thank you. Yeah. What's the greatest advice you've ever received? It might not be one thing one person has told me that has made things. It's kind of me on this planet kind of giving me my own advice, like, but I know to be a good soul. I know to be kind to people. I know to work hard. I know to not get in fights. I know to you know, not, not start fights, not gossip people. I know, you know, I know that don't steal jokes. Don't everything. I know everything, how life is supposed to be and how kind you are to what it's supposed to be. So that's why I never do a new year's resolution because I don't do anything that, that I would be do different that I didn't do this year. So I never have, right. a new what's your news? Oh, I'm going to start running. Well, I already run. You know, I eat better. I already eat better. So <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm going to stop using nouns. That's like something like that. So the advice that when I broke it down kind of made sense was from Buddy Hackett. And I was in an airport and I said, oh my God, it's Buddy Hackett, right? Like, wow. So I walked over to him and I said, Buddy, you know, I'm a comic. And I just wanted to say, you know, shit, just you're he's brilliant. When I was a young comic, he was on the Tonight Show all the time. And he was just, you know, Buddy Hackett. He said, I'm going to give you some advice. And I said, okay, what's the advice? And he got a napkin out and he wrote it on a USA Today or whatever it was, napkin. And it said, the key to the treasure is the treasure. And he gave it to me. Break that down. Break that down for me. The key to the treasure Mm -hmm. is the treasure. So I'm I'm looking, I go, thanks. And I look at it like, thanks for nothing. And so I get on the plane. (laughs) I get on the plane. I'm staring at it for a good five, 10 minutes to break it down what the hell is you know what's he is he drunk or is it real i think a friend of mine says well well you know what that means i said no he said the, the key to the treasure like the key to life the key to the this box the key to this 
this whole thing right. is is this is this thing so the key to life is life so live for today the key to the key to happiness is happiness the key to you know and i thought wow that's mm -hmm. very it's very simple yet it's very true the key to this whole to everything is for us living today and the key to success and the key to love finding love is is finding lies is, is that task is that thing that's the key to the whole thing I think is, the, is 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 being it embodying yeah. it thank you being in the moment yeah, yeah. so i that thought that was, that was pretty pretty a uh, cool advice and and it made you kind of had to think a little bit yeah seriously my, my brain was in pretzels <laughs> just now yeah. have you ever felt that you've had to or have you ever had to use substances like weed or whatever to come up with material or are you more of like a sober person no completely sober in fact i it's funny i'm wearing this shirt i, yeah. I, do, not, I do not smoke marijuana i never have i bought this it was it was made well it's got this brand that i like and it just i just like the coloring and the fit and then i i wore it and everywhere i'm aware every time i wear it people say you don't smoke about it i said i know and i was going through the airport in uh, uh -huh. mexico not knowing I have this shirt on and I'm cruising through the airport and this guy just randomly says, uh, Hey man, I'm going to come over in this line. And I go in this line and they take me in this, that back room and they go through all my bags and ask me all these questions. And I'm just standing there and you know, nothing is there. Are we going to find anything in your bags? And I'm like, well, I hope so. Hope to find something in my bags. He's like, no, like any kind of drugs. I said, you find drugs in my bag and uh, yeah, you can, whatever you can, you can have my snowboard. And so they said, we got to start a search all you want. I don't smoke probably while you wearing the shirt. I said, I just, it's funny. funny <laughs> I don't know. I said, is this the reason why I got stopped? Because the shirt, he goes, well, it didn't help. I said, you were profiled. Oh. Right. Yeah. So anyway, after I, down the, I got an Instagram, I said, if you ever fly, don't wear a shirt like pot leaf on it. Yeah. I never have been, I don't think I've been actually drunk since high school. Like literally. Wow. And it's, not, it's not like a yay thing. It's just, yeah. I. I don't drink enough to get drunk. I, and I have friends that have like uh, Gene Simmons, per se. And he's never had a drop of booze. That, that I don't find. I, I mean, maybe so, but I'm not that pure. I definitely have, at the end of the show, I'd have a little crown on the rocks. Mm -hmm. um, right before the show, we do a ceremonial shot of crown. Uh, then I do the show, then I have a crown. And then I come home and I watch TV with a glass of red wine. So that's about my my big overdoing but yeah a couple lines of coke and then uh <laughs> kidding <laughs> yeah. definitely not the drug guy i'm definitely i'm actually more of a nerd than anything else yeah i'm seeing that but in a good way yeah have you ever had to confront a comic for either stealing a joke or stealing part of your act or anything like has there ever been anything like that in your career no, I have, I've never had a, I mean, I've had a confrontation with one guy that I didn't start. He started it. Sounds like you're in high school. He started it. But um, there was one with Dennis Miller where he had a thing against me. And it, was, it was a story that was misconstrued. And he, he thought some, this happened, I, this happened. He was always mad at me. And then when I talked to him in person, he realized, oh, he's wrong. So now we're best friends. Gallagher had a little spat with me one time. I said, meet me for lunch. So I went to meet him for lunch and when I sat down, he was like, why'd you steal my act? And I said, okay, what, what act? What are you talking about? We ended up talking it through because I didn't steal his act. He just was, you know, he just had this feeling that what I did was touching his kind of thing was 
too similar. And then I explained to him, not, you're not even close. He was like, yeah, okay, well, never mind. Now, yeah, he's just mad. And then I had to prove him wrong. I told him, look, I'll say, here's the number one difference, Gallagher, okay? He says, what? I said, you hit watermelons, right? I hit cantaloupe. He goes, oh, it is. <laughs> okay. What do you think you came into this life as Scott Thompson, a.k.a. Carrot Top, to learn? And what do you think you came here to teach? Wow. Good questions. Well, I came here to learn everything, kind of like what we talk about how to learn to get along with, with other humans and, and, and learn how to be a good guy, you know, like not just use the cliche, you know, big deal. He's such a good guy. Be a nice guy, but literally have that where you, you're always about love and about and listening to other people and hearing their problems and becoming a human being. There's so many people on this planet and trying to be part of the, you know, it's kind of like when you go to a bar and you go to this bar and every guy, every day you go to that bar, the same people are in that bar and everybody gets along because they're all in that bar and they're friends. Well, take that outside of the bar and do that everywhere you go. Like wherever you go, when you walk into a store or go walk into a, a mall, be just as nice to everyone in that mall that you would be at that little bar that you, that you know every day, that kind of thing. Interesting. It's like, there's no reason why we can't. I mean, there's no reason why we can't have that. I know it sounds, again, it's all cliche. Like, why can't we all get along? Why, you know, peace and love? Why can't you love your neighbor? Why can't you? Well, you can. It just takes time to do it. You have to, and, and the same thing too. You got to kind of give and take. If there's some, everyone has a friend that's kind of a little offered. You're like, oh, I wish they wouldn't do that. But you kind of work with them with it. And maybe soften them up a little bit and then they become a little better person than, on their end. And what do you think you came here to teach? Or it could be one and the same, but maybe there's another part to it. I want to, to teach it. people how to drive a car, you know, how to back a boat. Um, I'm here to teach, well, probably the same. It's probably a little of the bad. You know, I wanted to learn how to become a good person. And you want to teach people how to, to do as well. Being a performer, it's kind of weird. I, I almost feel like I, I wanted to be a teacher when I was in school. I had a chalkboard. And I used to pretend I was writing things on the chalkboard. And I was mm -hmm. I had a little bell. It's really weird, true. And when I got into comedy, in a sense, you almost are teaching every night. You're, you know, you have a, a new audience, a new classroom of people, and you're teaching them. There's things that you teach in the show, and there's things that they might take from the show that might teach them something else too. Like mm -hmm. even while the show is, you, you can you can look you can look in someone on stage too and say, "Wow, I want to have a beer with that guy. I, I think he seems like he's not just putting on a show. That's probably him in real life. It's fun." I love even things like teaching my crew. You know, last night we put this this bit together. It was a very complex bit. And I taught them lighting guy, sound guy, camera guy. We have to all learn this bit for the show. And it's going to take everybody's work to do it. And we nailed it. But I taught them it all. So that was kind of fun. That's just one little aspect of being teaching something. But I think on the bigger, bigger scale is just teaching people to be good to one another. You know, I always get so sad when, especially in big towns like Vegas, where you, there's so much crime and there's so much crap on the news and things going yeah. around. And I always think, well, how lucky am I in my, my job? Like I go to work every night and I tell jokes. Like I've never once gone to work and had something, God forbid, right. you know, show business It's pretty, uh, with the exception of some of the things that have happened in, uh, in show business, you know, over the years. And we always pray for more and that not to happen. You get to raise the collective vibration every night, which is really cool. 
Yeah, it's actually yeah. true. Yeah, because you take that room where they're all in a funk mood and the, the show's over and the music's playing and they're all walking out. There, there's a general happy mood that you just sent that whole section of people through the casino. Right. That's, that's positive vibes going through. It's like <laughs> shitting those negative people. <laughs> but overall, that's awesome, though. Yeah. And you know what? I want to thank you for your time. And honestly, most people don't surprise me. You really surprised me. You are uh, a very interesting and insightful man, apart uh, from being funny. So I want to thank you. Thank you. That's very nice, Allison. Of course. And best of luck with the rest of the residency. Yes, and, thank you. And I wish you all the best. Yeah, thank you very much. And have fun there in Delray Beach. Try. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Not, can't complain. All right. Nice to meet Have you. Have a great day. Yeah, ciao. Beautiful. Thank All you. Right. So what you guys think? I hope that you were a little bit surprised. Like, huh, because that, that's what happened to me. I was like, huh, I didn't know this guy had so many different layers to his personality and that he was just a really interesting, cool, chill, really kind soul, really kind human being, right? And beyond that, I have to tell you, I feel like I'm having way too much fun. Like this podcast is just way too much fun that I almost feel like I'm getting away with something that I get to do this. Not that I'm not working my butt off because I am. Don't get me wrong. This this is hard work putting this together for you guys. But I am just having so much fun connecting with all of these interesting people, hearing their story, and then bringing it to you guys. So it's like this its like this big cycle of energy, you know? It's like I get to experience it, and then I get to share the experience with you. And that is what just makes my heart soar. I mean, as corny as that sounds, but it's the truth. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Share it, like it, review it, comment on it. Do whatever you want with it, and I will see you on the next go-around. Peace. Peace.